Hello and welcome back to another episode of Politics on Draft with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. Join us as we go through the political news of the world and try to make sense of everything that's going on. Each week we'll talk about current affairs, political topics and offer some insight, research and opinions along the way. We'll also be bringing on some special guests with interesting stories and their experience of politics. So whether you're a massive politics nerd or someone who simply wants to know more, you're very welcome to join us every Friday from 8am, just in time for your morning commute. So get comfortable, get a drink and remember, the best politics is always always on draft. Hello Kartik, how are you? I'm good James, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm not too bad. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously this is not how the, the podcast is supposed to be. For reference, we were supposed to have a guest on uh, today, but there was a little technical hitch, uh, hiccup, but um, that's absolutely fine. We've got bigger plans for them to come on next season with some even bigger plans as to what next season on that. I think be. If, if it's okay with you, then should we talk about our bigger plans for next season? I mean, we can do, um, it depends well, how much secrecy you want to put on it. I mean, oh, we don't need to put that much secrecy on it. We can, I mean, I think if we tell them it'll be more exciting. Right. So basically we're, so as you know, me and James have been in university for the last three years. Um, but next by the time we start next season, uh, around summer, we would have been finished with university. So we have decided that we're going to start recording in person and in a pub. Um, so we've sort of struck a deal with a pub in Westminster uh, to invite guests on in person in the pub where we'll have a pint and we'll talk about politics or anything else. Well, yeah, mostly no. politics. And we're, we're really looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to spend a lot of time sort of between when we finish our degree and starting the season, kind of getting everything ready and trying to make it as best as a season as possible. Um, Absolutely. But the work will still continue bef- uh, in between then. We'll probably be putting stuff up on TikTok mainly. So um, if you are listening, make sure to follow our TikTok, which is at peace. Uh, sorry, no, it's not at P. That's our Twitter. It's literally just at politics on draft. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, like and like, like and, you know, give our channel all the love that and all our TikTok page the love that it, uh, that it, that it deserves. And if um, anyone wants to know just quickly how hard it can be to run a podcast, the, the guests that we were supposed to have on this week, by no fault of their own and by no by none of our fault either if that makes sense uh we've we've tried to have them on twice this season mm. but unfortunately we've been successful first time i was having terrible internet issues uh and then second time uh he missed his train on the way to the station so he just couldn't make it into the office in time so it's fine next week uh, next week next season we'll do it much much better with our guest I think we've name dropped it, name dropped him multiple times, and I think we should just stop mentioning stuff that we're going to do. <laughs> stop mentioning guests that we're going to have on. Yeah, we're, we're, cur- we're cursing it. We're, uh, we're cursing yeah, it. Exactly. We're, we're cursing it. But um, but uh, yeah, and I I don't know if if the tone isn't obvious, but uh, this episode is our last one of the series because we've got a dissertation to write, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it, that we've got that to do to deal with. Um, but should, should, should we tell them what our dissertation's on? Or is that a bad idea to say? Because then our dissertations will go horribly. <laughs> well, in, I mean, as long as we touch... I was going to say if we touch wood. I've got a guitar in the back. I'll touch wood. Okay, I'll touch wood as well. You go first. You tell us so, what your dissertation's about. So my dissertation is about 
how Margaret Thatcher continues to affect Conservative Party economic and constitutional policy in the 21st mm-hmm. century. And I'm kind of did a big a bit of a deep dive into her um, and just sort of like found out the, the kind of the facts, the fiction, the, the kind of the somewhat misinterpreted nature of her in, in some aspects. Um, mm-hmm. Quite interesting things. So I think like, one thing which is quite big is everybody associates her with, you know, low tax, low low state in terms of uh, sort of social funding. But actually her first, uh, actually legitimately her first policy was raising VAT. Just a little, you know, quite interesting fact there. And it's because, and she personally said that she is more in favour on taxing consumption rather than earnings. But yet nobody ever says that, do they? It's always but, how she's low tax. Okay, so. we can we can debate this another time as well. But you're taking us right back to the first ever episode of Politics on Draft ever, because that's what that's exactly what I mentioned. I talked about I talked about Margaret Thatcher's influence on the Conservative Party. So you've nicked my idea for your dissertation. Yeah, yeah, I I have nicked, and I'm not going to cite you because I'm not. Um, academically ethical. Um, I am, just in case Turnitin's listening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are you doing, Karthik? My dissertation is on imperial nostalgia in British culture, public debate and um, Brexit. So yeah, it's it's more so it's a it's a broader definition of imperial nostalgia than most people are used to. And I'm analysing all things from Top Gear India special uh statues all the way to brexit so it it's on differing levels of seriousness but i think it paints a very very interesting point and i'm i'm looking forward to finishing it as well though but i think that it is interesting because i mean especially with dissertations you know they can be so academically weighted that it's quite nice to kind of have those like ease of reading when talking about things like say for instance the top gear india special it's why my one's more commentary based rather than you know going down the route of methodology and sort of yeah and coming up with excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. yeah no but of course the difference is i'm a history student so i have to use primary sources of course of course yeah but anyway should we crack on um yes absolutely um it being our final episode yes can i ask you what the highlight of the last four episodes was because I think it's pretty obvious what the highlight was. Well, I was going to actually say to you that we haven't actually said what we're drinking yet. Oh, yeah, go on. Um, I'm, as usual, uh, drinking something that's on brand for us. Kartik is wimping out as usual. I'm at my <laughs> grandparents' house. I can't I can't just pull out the best bottle of wine and just start chugging it down. No, I'm having a Pepsi Max because that's what they had in the fridge. And I've got... <laughs> I've got a Chianti, Longobardi Chianti, that I bought from the co-op. Um, so, yeah. That's because you're that. working class, right? You're very, very much working class. Hey, that was never insinuated. <laughs> I don't know where you pulled that from. I've never, right. I, I've never claimed. I've never claimed to be, but yeah. Um, no, but I'm just kidding. Let's, let's, let's get on with uh, this before... Kartik says something else about what I am. So let's let's go. What are we talking about? (laughs) So first things first, Hamza Youssef, new Scottish First Minister, I think biggest news of the 
week. So Hunter Yusuf won with 52.1% of the vote in the second round of counting versus Kate Forbes, who clinched 47.9%. Yeah. And Ash Regan, who was sort of eliminated at the start, I think she got something like 11%. But the new SNP boss, as I like to call it, said he was the luckiest man in the world to win the leadership and pledged to put the drive uh, for independence into fifth gear. Um, he actually said fifth gear, which is odd because it's not the highest gear. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yes, he was elected leader. I don't think he was, he, he is the luckiest man in the world because he was up against Kate Forbes and Ash Regan. Now, Kate Forbes sort of punched her, uh, sort of within the first 48 hours of her, um, her leadership campaign being announced, she sort of punched herself in the face because she said, you know, uh, she had some interesting views on abortion rights, on gay rights, on women's rights. I don't um, think we can call them interesting, Carter. They're fucking ludicrous, to be totally honest. Well, so, some people probably wouldn't say ludicrous, but yeah, they are ludicrous to me. And I am going to come on to that. But I want to sort of come back to Westminster. When He is, by the way, the first Asian man to be, well, first Asian man, man of Asian descent to be Scottish First Minister uh, and the first Muslim to be... Um, a Western a, democracy. A, a, yeah. a, a first Muslim leader of a Western democracy, exactly. Sorry, you're phrasing it better than I am today. Yeah. But Keir Starmer, with that really, really bizarre tweet, if you hadn't seen it, so Keir Starmer basically tweeted, you know, it's great Hamza Youssef is the first Muslim leader of a Western democracy. But then... Like two lines after, like not even two, like directly after, he said, the SNP does not have a plan for Scotland. Mm. <laughs> it was very, yeah. very quick. And it almost seemed like someone had typed, someone had typed out the tweet for him and then gone, ah, too many characters. Let me just take out the middle part where I'm praising him about and how yeah yeah so i I find it quite i find it quite interesting labor's relationship with smp because like obviously the smp sort of they obviously do a lot of stick on the tories but then they also do a lot of stick on on labor as well and it's like i've never really heard keir starmer be drastically outspoken about scotland maybe even let alone anything (laughs) Um, and and so it's quite yeah it's quite interesting to to kind of hear that or see Mm. it in a a tweet really well i think i think most of that criticism has to be reserved to anasawa so anasawa who's the leader of the scottish labor party he should be the one who's making those attacks not keir starmer otherwise it seems like he's taking the power away from anasawa do you get what i mean yeah i think yeah but and you're right there in the in terms of that i think anasawa needs to have the same kind of gravitas as the conservative Keir Starmer. No. <laughs> I, I was going to actually say the ex the ex conservative uh, Scottish leader Ruth Davidson because she, right. she she was such a sort of like I mean she was a household name effectively like you knew who she was. Mm-hmm. If I was to ask most people like oh like who is the um, who is the Scottish uh, Labour leader they wouldn't have a clue. And I'm not saying that people around mm-hmm. the street need to be sort of kept up with Scottish. Um, Scottish affairs, but yeah, but I think if you also ask most people on the street who the chance of the Exchequer was, they wouldn't have a clue either. But I think that's just making wider points mm. of. I think I mean my dad's a massive Tory. He has no idea who the Chancellor is. Does really? 
Yeah. Wow. Maybe I've just made my dad look silly, but... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Very> nice. <laughs> I know, right? Maybe we should edit out. Sorry, Dad. But anyway, so in terms of what it means for elect- electorally, because we're talking about the Labour Party, we're talking about the SNP. A lot of people have said, oh, you know, this is a win for the Labour Party in Scotland. I think it's too soon to tell, right? It's not possible to say with any real evidence that Hamza is better or worse than Kate Forbes or Ash Regan. Um, and I think we're just going to have to wait to find out. But what we can say is that the state of the SNP right now, yeah, I think it's the most divided it's been for a long time. Almost half mm. of SNP members looked at a politician who is against gay marriage, a woman's right to choose, feminism, and having children outside of uh, marriage. And then they thought that politician best represented their view of Scotland's future. Now, my question is, what will the SNP look like after independence when it being a nationalist party isn't their defining tenet anymore? Well, predicates. are you hypothetically asking me that or are you... I'm asking hypothetically. I'm not saying, oh, independence is going to happen because that's a bigger... I think it's it's a big that's a big question with regards to how nationalist parties operate, because how does the SNP move beyond its primary aim, which is independence? Now, it is worth it is worth mentioning. And this is something that and it's going to really annoy is Isabel something or another of the spectator. I can't bloody remember if to say my life is the point she made raised whilst this whole report was going on is you have to remember the SNP itself is divided on independence mm-hmm. in that not all SNP members do want independence. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it is a policy that has been, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how the, how party policy is formed, whether it's voted or whether it's um, uh, decided by the executive, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still a division in its own part. So I, it's really hard. So uh, the, the point I was trying to make actually was that, the SNP, I think, could continue on moving beyond post-independence, hypothetical mm-hmm. independence, because it would ultimately, they're nationalists, which means they want to ensure that they're producing, you know, from domestically. They are, you know, making use of potential energy reserves nationally rather than depending on the interdependence of free world trade. So... Mm-hmm. I think they would live on beyond independence. It's mm. just, well, it's whether they can get to that point. Which... See, it's interesting because I had I had a similar debate with a friend, uh, with a very, very good friend, um, a couple of weeks ago now, about what will the SNP actually look like if they achieve independence. And he argued that, uh, you know, the SNP fundamentally is a left-of-centre party, right? They will always be like that. Well... I, I can see why you would think that. I mean, it's 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 not a bad hypothesis. But I think, especially when, and this was well, well before the resignation of uh, Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, you know, not not all leadership elections go over the entirety of a summer. This was very, very efficient, very, very quick. Mm. Uh, announced the resignation. Uh, leadership election happened. Resigned. Done. But the sort of 47.9% loss for Kate Forbes. That is still half of the SNP who voted for a person 
who believes that fundamental rights that are largely agreed upon in the UK should be questioned. Mm. Now, I don't think that sounds very left of centre to me. And I don't know I don't know to what extent that tenet will carry on within the Scottish Labour Party. I I the Scottish Nationalist Party. My my argument is that actually I think that there is the argument that the SNP is left of centre, but I think that is purely down to one person, and that mm. is Nicola Sturgeon. You know, she completely shifted the SNP into the position that she wanted it to be, and that's brilliant. Mm. And you know, like you know, good good for her for doing that. And mm-hmm. it shows the, you know, how much personality politics plays and how much individual politics can play in the entirety of the... I mean, we've seen it with Boris Johnson. I mean, that's probably the biggest example of personal politics playing into the hands of party politics. But we've also seen it with the SNP. And the, the point I was going to argue is that I, I pretty much solely put the, the blame on the division that we're seeing in the SNP mm-hmm. on Nicola Sturgeon. And the and the executives at the time, because there's been no contingency plan. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, there were people saying, "Oh, well, Hamza Youssef was the um, was the contingency plan." Was he though? Well, Is there were. Yeah, really. I mean, they. I know the news were describing it as him, but I don't think so. I think there could have been much better candidates with better records as well. Mm-hmm. And Hamza Youssef, because I, I mean, mean, something that just quickly, something that I I put out on TikTok this week, or was it me, or was it you? No, it was me. No, yeah. it was you. Yeah, yeah. It was you. yeah, his 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 record's terrible. I mean, six hours wait for an ambulance. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other. I've I've, I've got it right here. I, I mean, I've, I've I've got the script, but I mean, yeah, okay. The things I was going to cover is, and this is quite literally reading out from the TikTok that we did, but. So Nicholas Sturgeon's resignation happened and then there was a bit of a slump in support for S- for the SNP and then he will have to make up for those losses and that's not a small mm. task. Now, the next big election that's relevant to him is in 2026, but there are general elections that he has to fight, which, oh, yeah. which in my opinion are just as important in the national picture, but probably just a little bit less important for the SNP. Um, now... In his speech, he also said he'll prioritise helping people with the cost of living and fixing crisis in the NHS. But it's his record as Scottish Health Minister. I mean, he was basically on holiday during the pandemic. Six out of ten COVID hotspots of Europe were in Scotland. And, yeah, I mean, the average waiting time for an ambulance in Scotland oh, sold to six hours. Yeah. You're right, yeah. And Yusuf urged the public to think twice before calling 999. Now, I know that's a line to say, oh, you know, think twice before calling 999, think twice before going to A&E, think about calling 111. But I think it's just a shirking of duties to an extent when he was... I was going to say, I don't think deterrence is the best way to go about policy. You know, policy should be an active thing. It should be a progressive thing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if your best way of trying to fix the health service. And I know sort of nationally, it's something that needs fixing. So it's well and good as us under NHS England saying mm-hmm. NHS Scotland's in shit because we're all in shit. No, no, no. I think, but, I think it's the yeah. same because but I think... And, deter, right? you know, I, was, I was looking at the ambulance numbers this week. The ambulance numbers in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have stayed broadly the same, mm. right? 
people were urged not to call 999 during the pandemic, but this is in September 2021. So yes, ambulance numbers had actually dropped after the pandemic and and the waiting times were increasing. So clearly there's an internal issue here that needs to be diagnosed and addressed, which wasn't being fixed, in my opinion. 100%. But I, th- I, I think, think that we, pretty much covers SMP. Uh, I think we should go to a break. Hello and welcome back from the break. Uh, we're going to talk about... Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. I, I told you not to do any singing when we no, brought him up. You told me not to sing Bye Bye, Jeremy. Bye, and you started bye. singing it. <laughs> right. Okay, let's, let, let's, let's actually talk about Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, it's the last episode. Liven up, man. Liven up. <laughs> so, let's talk about Corbyn because it's now been official. It's been voted for by the, by the board, as it were. The, yeah. NEC. It's not a board, it's a national executive committee. It's a much bigger deal. Uh, It has been voted by the NEC, by the NEC, that Jeremy Corbyn will uh, not be standing as a Labour candidate in the next election. Thoughts? So, I think it's been three years since he was last Labour leader, right? Yeah. To, nearly to the day. But um, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, everything everything that I think is a little bit on the lines of dodgy, but also maybe possibly okay uh, in this context is interesting. But yeah, so Jeremy Corbyn, let's just, let's just cover what Corbyn says, has said. Uh, to Keir Starmer so far. So Corbyn has said that Starmer has denigrated the democratic foundations of our party and his back is in momentum. Call it Starmer's venal and duplicitous act. Corbyn's spokesperson still isn't confirming if he'll stand as an independent, either in Islington North or possibly, and these are whispers, Mayor of London. Um, So I think going independent would raise a question mark over the Labour members that supported him, the 12 mm. Labour members that supported him. So let's cover the vote. So Keir Starmer and Shabana Mahmood, who is Labour's national campaign coordinator, proposed and seconded a motion to the NEC that he should not be allowed to stand as a Labour candidate at the next general election. And the NEC voted 22 to 12 in favour of the motion. Now, everyone has said this is because of... Uh, Corbyn's uh, stance on anti-Semitism, his response to the report that came out a couple of uh, months ago, but the motion didn't mention anti-Semitism, interestingly. What do you think? Well, call me clinical, call me harsh, but I don't think he's good for the party regardless Mm-hmm. of the anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're going preaching democracy, but you're basically indefinitely suspending him because of the fact that he's not good for the party, mm-hmm. it's quite different. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's... It's difficult because I don't think any MP should run, be pretentious and almost like complicit, sort of not complicit, complacent 
in their them being an MP. And ultimately, mm-hmm. if a party who you are a member of, who mm-hmm. way back in the day decided to put you up as the candidate, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the God-given right, mm-hmm. excuse the religious connotations, you were like allowed to be a candidate in behalf of the party. Mm-hmm. If that party doesn't believe that you represent its values, it should have the right to not make you and they did they took the democratic process of putting it to a vote to the nec mm-hmm. and demo- and in that case the party of democracy has, has has said what it had to say and so in a way by the by they didn't talk about anti-semitism don't understand why because it's a pretty big reason as to why you wouldn't have him in the party mm. but yeah i i i welcome the i, I welcome the decision Fair enough. I also fundamentally do agree with the decision because I think when the report came out, I think PR-wise, Jeremy Corbyn would have been wise to stay quiet and reflect for a little bit. And then, you know, in a couple of months down the line, say it on a massive interview, possibly with a podcast, possibly to the LBC, possibly to, I don't know, the news agents or something like that. And then sort of talked about, you know, how did he, how did you feel when that report came out and stuff like that? But no, I don't think Jeremy Corbyn can stay quiet. I think he, he has opinions on something. He will go for it. And the thing is, he had previously apologised for the anti-Semitism within the Labour Party, but then he refused to apologise again after that. And then he refused to sort of talk about what the the content of the report. I think I'm not sure what his specific words are, but I think he rejected the the accusation that Labour, the, the Labour Party was riddled with anti-Semitism. So I think it's, I think it would have been convenient timing for Starmer if he had done it when the report came out and Jeremy Corbyn had made a statement. It's also convenient timing right now because it's right before the local elections. Hmm. So, and he wants to see how they'll perform without Jeremy Corbyn. And the thing is, I don't even know if Jeremy Corbyn would have wanted to stay as an MP after he's been leader of the Labour Party? Well, I think it would have been convenient for him to do so because ultimately, you know, I mean, he literally said it this week because he hasn't said much, but what he has said is he said the kind of like, I'm committed to the members of Islington North and I will fight for them. What that means is up to your own interpretation. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that verbatim, it was to words to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like, because ultimately, like, I mean, lots of people vote for different reasons. Mm-hmm. How many people that vote for Jeremy Corbyn vote for him because it's Jeremy Corbyn or vote because it's the Labour Party? It's I guess we'll find out. out. Yeah, I, that's, that, yeah, that's what's going to need to be found out. I guess we will find out. We don't know if he's going to vote uh, at the next... We don't know if he's going to stand as a candidate at the next election. But I don't know. Have you seen that Sky News interview, James? With him? No. Have you seen the one where... Yeah, well, he was sort of in it. Um, but the Sky News journalist approached him just outside Westminster, just as just outside Parliament, and I think he was quite rude to her, in my opinion. I have you seen, seen it? No, okay, so basically, this this journalist, Sky News journalist, went up to Jeremy Corbyn and said, "Right, can you please tell me, you know, Keir Starmer has blocked you from standing as a as a independent can as a Labour candidate at the next election? Uh, you know, what do you think? What do people want to hear about the future of Jeremy Corbyn as?" A member of parliament and he said oh, well i'm going to the immigration uh protest now we suggest you cover that and the sky news journalist said 
we are covering that, but can we ask about, can we ask you about mm. your future as an MP? And he said, thank you very much. And then thank you very much to sort of move on. And then he leaned in quite aggressively, um, looked in and said, thank you very much. Not in that, not that slow, but he sort of shouted at her. Well, semi shouted at her, not really mm. completely shouted in the street, but I thought it was, a bit too harsh to a journalist. And I, and I get that tensions are running high, but it's probably not the right way to do it. I think the only, I think the only person that tension is running high for is him because fundamentally the Labour Party, you know, are not doing too badly at the moment. The polls, and whether or not that's due to party success or Tory failure is a question in itself. Mm. Um, but, and I, I'm kind of wanting to nicely segue on to, the, the kind of Labour Party in general, because ultimately I don't actually think this is to do with anti-Semitism. Mm. I think this is, is mainly due to party identity and setting yourself up for the election, because the last thing that Starmer watched <laughs> is an election where he is committed to one thing and there are people in his party that are committed to other things. No, I get that. I get that. Right. And, 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 and I understand that the broader principles of the party should remain the same across but there can be there should fundamentally be differences between different mps in the party because at the end of the day we know that labor is going to be the ne- well we don't know but it's very likely that Labour yeah, is going to be the i next don't government. think he can be so complacent as to as to as to believe that i mean me and you can say that we think that's going to happen but he can't he fundamentally no. has to win it no 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 the point that i'm making is that we know that labor is going to be in the next as uh, is going to form the next government most likely mm. right the point i'm making is Whilst most MPs should agree with the principles of a party to stand as an MP for that party, there should definitely be some MPs on the backbenches that fundamentally oppose what the government at the time is doing. We do need, no, we do need scrutiny within a party. Yeah, no, but I think scrutiny and asking MPs to oppose is is two different things i think i'm not asking no 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 no, james i'm not asking mps to oppose i'm I'm saying that there should be some mps in the party that scrutinize the government no and i 100 percent agree with that and obviously scrutiny can only come from your views and actually i i almost would argue that maybe scrutiny from your own backbenchers needs to be more entrenched Mm mm-hmm rather than it be simply down to whatever your values are. Because mm-hmm. what ends up happening is you end up happening what happens with Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party, where he culled any MPs that disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. But he was allowed to do that. And that's not really healthy. But yeah. it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be down to values. It should be down to... And it's weird because technically, me saying that, and I've just had a bit of a moment of self-reflection there, is in direct, is in direct sort of opposition to what I, my reason for Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but then again, it's the, it's the, it's the multi, it's the multifaceted nature of Jeremy Corbyn. One being the, 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 the anti-Semitism two, mm-hmm. you know, creating the biggest loss for labor in however many years and three, just the difference in identity because it's not you're not just on a single issue yeah the difference of just everything yeah, yeah. see I, th- I so i mean that's where i think my disagreements with some of the left of the party 
come in where they say that Jeremy Corbyn, it was sort of Keir Starmer is trying to purge the left of the Labour Party. I think if, if he was doing that, even me, someone who I can, I, I consider myself a centrist in the party, is would be opposed to what, if Keir Starmer was sort of purging every hard left-leaning you, member. You have to keep your grassroots move. Exactly. Yeah, no, 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 and so, I, yeah. I think what he's doing, you think, I think he's purging people that could potentially raise a leadership bid against him from the left of the party. So who's he purged? Rebecca Long-Bailey a couple of years ago. He's purged Jeremy Corbyn now. And it, and to be honest, it makes sense because you need good leadership and you need yeah. to have that person who is going to make the difficult decisions. And, yeah. you know, that that's the sort of things that he's doing. And as I said, I welcome it. But let's talk about, let's talk about the, what he's trying to set up because that's a, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. So it, one of the big things is obviously cost of living at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, the now that, that for some for, for some reason this week there's not been as much limelight on the Conservative Party. I think it's just because it's not been a very eventful week. Can um, can I can I interrupt that? I know I've been interrupting you a lot. Yeah. This basically what happened was the Conservatives about six days ago announced their local election campaign. Hmm. But no one responded to it. Oh, and really? I, did, I didn't even know they announced it. <laughs> That's my point. No one knew that they announced it. They had, it was insane. it was almost a phantom announcement of your local yeah. election campaign, which just signals as to how oh. well it's going to go. But anyway, keep on going. Yeah, no. So I, for some reason, just the news and politics has disappeared this week. But what it has meant is that there's been a lot of talk about Labour, and so it, and one of the, one of the big the bigger uh, sort of like. Uh, spotlights has been put on Rachel Reeves because Reeves because she's probably going to be the next chancellor if we mm-hmm. go by what me and me and Kartik predict, and she has said that at the moment she's got no plan to um, raise capital gains tax, which mm-hmm. is obviously quite interesting given the the recent uh, tax returns published. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it last week and mm-hmm. how Sunak has been able to kind of. If loophole is the right word, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Probably is, but basically, kind of like put all of his assets into into, into that kind of this that tax route. Um, and yeah, I just it's it's quite interesting because they're it it kind of. I mean, people want to hear what Labour's plan is, mm-hmm. and what they're hearing is. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we've got no plan. Now, I get that you're waiting for a an election and you're waiting for the campaign to start. And I get your argument, which I'm sure you're probably going to go more in depth, which is as a party, we can't give away too much at the moment. Otherwise, the Tories will just nick it. Mm-hmm. But there does have to be a certain moment in which uh, Starmer and Reeves and Rayner go, OK, let's start getting it out there. And I don't know when that is. That's the thing. I hand my hands up. I do not know when that's going to be. No, that's fine. I'll tell you when it is. So basically, uh, to an extent, I agree with you. We have been sort of to. We haven't been telling everyone what our policy is, uh, and I think to some extent that's good, hmm. but to a very very limited extent because it does lead to people saying Labour have no plan. Now, if you remember the five missions. Let me just bring them up in front of me. Is this by Rishi? uh, No, no, no. No, by the Labour Party. If you remember the five missions, James, Mm. and you probably don't, but because they're slowly coming up with a lot more. Now, you're talking about the economy here, but most recently they've been talking about 
uh, crime and make the the tagline being "Make Britain Streets Safer," uh, sort of tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, the classic tagline for Labour. And they've and the other ones are break down the barriers to opportunity at every stage, build an NHS fit for the future, make Britain a clean energy superpower, and secure the highest sustained growth in the G seven. Now, what Labour's doing is they're going around. And this is what you'll see over the, over the next year is that they will be going around and announcing policies relevant to this particular space. Now, I have obviously been focusing on the build an NHS fit for the future, and I'm not going to tell you what the policies are because then I'd get sacked. But there is a lot more coming. And in terms of the not wanting to increase capital gains tax, what I can say is, look, one of their key taglines is driving more investment right? If they increase capital gains tax, I'm not saying that suddenly it will drive down investment. It's that suddenly people will start saying you are anti-investment because there's no more benefit to the investment there. Yeah, but then... And those people are particularly the Tories. Can I interject and just say, wouldn't you argue then, I think the front bench of Labour needs to be more in tune with each other because you have Rachel Reeves who says we've got no plans to change uh, to to increase uh, the capital gains threshold or just increase the tax itself. But then at the same time, two days before, one day before, you've got Angela Rayner, who is um, criticising Rishi Sunak mm-hmm. for, you know, paying, like, less tax than... Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't remember what the reference. Well, no. I mean, we we do need to close down loopholes on tax. I mean, that's one thing. No, no, no. That's not what. That's not why. That's not why. That's not why I'm saying. But, he, but, but the thing is, he did take advantage of uh, of a loophole on tax. I'm not sure which which loophole he took advantage of because I don't avoid tax myself, so I'm not therefore not aware of the loopholes. But he paid 22 percent tax on his overall sort of gain. In, yeah, but in that's, his most again, again, that's not that's not what my point is. Is that surely the front bench need to be more? Because yes, criticise, but then when you've got another, because effectively, and I know uh, this is a bit of a far reach. You've got Angela Rayner who's criticising for using the capital gains loophole, and then a day later, you've got Rachel Reeves saying, "Yeah, we've got no plans to change that." It doesn't look to. It doesn't look to. At least from a PR perspective, mm-hmm. it doesn't send out green flags as this is what the country needs at the moment. I see your point from a PR perspective mm-hmm. that that's probably not a good idea to announce a separate policy on the other end. But there's also something that you haven't mentioned is that the freezing of council tax if Labour gets into government. Mm. And that's that. That is a that is a policy that. And know, even. Even that is criticised. Even that is criticised. I mean, that was announced today, freezing council tax uh, for uh, for all councils uh, to deal with the cost of living crisis. And that is to encourage the Conservative government to do that for all councils. Now, they can't enroach upon the freedom upon other local councils and say, no, we're not freezing the council tax because they've made their budgets Mm. for this financial year. But that also means if you're freezing the council tax, implicitly you are going to give more funding to local councils and local authorities. And that's a positive. Well, with that one, I think I'd argue that there needs to be more guidance from DLUC as to how councils can, you know, successfully 
manage their finances in a way that doesn't encroach because we're hearing all these stories about councils having to raise their council tax Mm -hmm. in order to um you know pay for just the current uh, sort of economical climate that we live in and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and i know that this is an unprecedented nature of that but you're not hearing much from deluxe deluxe just going in talking Oh yeah, well you know, explain up. deluxe for our listeners. Uh, the de- the department for leveling up and housing and communities. So that's mm. they they're, they're the governance for local councils and local government. But all they're saying is, yeah, well we're going to level up, so it doesn't matter. No, mm-hmm. you have other commitments as well. Um, mm-hmm. Feel free for any listeners to send me any content on what deluxe is actually doing. If there's any conservatives out there saying, now you've got this furiously wrong, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, should we should we move on to sort of our last few just little sort of like mini topics? Yes, but we'll keep it very, very quick. Yes, of course. So do you want to explain what the Home Office? Yeah, so the Home Office has basically announced that the small boats issue is going to be supposedly fixed by big boats, disused cruise ships and RAF bases. Now, I don't like the the immigration policy of the conservative policy uh, conservative party whatsoever so i'm obviously going to be critical of this straight away uh local authorities are naturally quite critical of everything that is happening there already local authorities were have been very very critical even conservative local authorities have been very very critical of having sort of asylum seekers and refugees being based in raf bases in their sort of area and yeah james what do you think about it because obviously i come from a place of bias yeah well well, i mean to to a degree i i suppose i can join you on that because i'm very critical of the of the of the bill itself Mm -hmm. um when i saw it i mean i was most struck by the pictures of the disused cruise ships Mm-hmm. They look absolutely terrible. Yeah, they look absolutely. Ter- I mean, it looks like something that's been made by Russian architecture. Like that is that's the level we're talking about. Not to go against Russian architecture because I'm sure there's some lovely out there, but yeah. that kind of almost like you know stuck in like 20th century kind of like dilapidated but concrete kind of eye. Oh, it just it just looked awful and it looked as if you're you're not putting people in a cruise ship with beds you're putting people almost in like shipping containers that's the kind of, i mean that is I mean, if, if you haven't seen the pictures of it it is quite literally the the barges are literally no there's porter cabins that you used to have music lessons in when there was a new building being built in school yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's basically a massive like, version like, of those like mobile with, classrooms yeah, yeah mobile classrooms on flotation devices and I, I think, and I don't, I don't almost want to politicise this. To, like, well, I say politicise it too much. It already it's, is politicised, but I, I don't want to name the politi- the podcast is politics on draft, James. Yeah, no, but I, but I, I don't want to sort of like speculate or say something that's a bit kind of far fetched in in a, in a sense. But it almost gives a sense because there's this idea that you know we need to stop the boats and we need to stop. Um, illegal immigrants coming into this country and stepping foot on on our soil mm-hmm. so we're going to put them on a boat and put them offshore to assume to make sure they don't step on our country mm-hmm. soil 
I don't I don't know if I'm being sort of like too sort of like maybe too reading between the lines there. Hmm. But it I just it's such a it's such a weird policy. It's it's a what it is, is it's a will this is how we'll make do with the situation. For not, now. Not not yeah, not how we'll deal with it. This is mm-hmm. how we'll make do. And that's really uninspiring to be honest. Yep. Absolutely. And that's pretty much all we need to say about that particular bit. No, 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 that it isn't. Or because is there, there yeah. is, because I just want to add that the government is absolutely tearing themselves to bits over this policy. I mean, there are rumours that Suela Bravman is sort of unofficially leading the rebellion to make the small boats bill tougher. Now, the, I mean, when I say tearing themselves to bits, they are completely tearing themselves to bits. And Labour is very, very pre- pleased about this because... Naturally, it makes the Conservative Party look more divided than it already has been. And if one of, if not one of, if not one of the most powerful cabinet minister, other than the Chancellor and the Prime Minister, is leading a backbench rebellion unofficially, if that's true, then that's massive news. It's hardly going to be too big of a backbench rebellion because it's just going to be her, Mark Francois and... Christopher Chope. Yeah, Christopher (laughs) Chope, basically. Just just coming... Christopher Chope makes me laugh, just side note, because he always has about like 10,000 private members' bills and (laughs) only only about one of them gets through every year, but I sort of find it funny. Um, Uh, There's also the laughing gas ban, which... Have you got any thoughts on that? Because I don't really have any thoughts on that. Because the it's anti, just... the it's the I think the rhetoric's interesting. The whole antisocial uh, cracking down on antisocial behaviour, and I think the the, the Labour line was where well, you've been in government for thirteen years. Why is it taken thirteen years for you to come out of poli- with a policy of cracking down on antisocial behaviour? And and it's yeah, such a non-issue as well, right? Well, well, no, it's 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 a non-issue in terms of that. It's like in comparison to other things. Of course, it's an issue. Of course, what laughing gas? Yeah, laughing gas is barely an issue. I mean, okay, littering. No, in ter- no, in terms of in terms of the the potential ramifications to laughing gas, it's it's, of- it's not deemed a public health uh, concern by the health and social care department. The government's own health and social okay, care. Okay, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you something because there, there is actually an element of something being quite close to home for me. My, my mm-hmm. dear aunt, who lives in London, mm-hmm. um, she lives in a, a block of flats, and constantly outside of her house, there are people using laughing gas. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it creates a very kind of like hostile environment for her, which means she can't get she can't get out of her house now i'm not just applying that situation there and using my emotional connection to it to kind of prescribe the national policy mm-hmm. but i do think that it, it, it is a contributing factor do i think the conservative party need to be focusing on it at the moment no but yeah, I, okay. I agree with the labor line that why is it taking 13 years to have <laughs> have a policy on this fair enough but i also think that you know fine okay if you want to ban laughing gas i don't think criminalizing laughing gas is gonna get you anywhere closer because it just gives another market for drug dealers to expand into true but also i think it's probably part of this whole culture rhetoric and it's it's part of this this whole 
it's part of their bid to win the next election. It's part. It's part, it's part. It's part of the bid, and I'm sure Lee Anderson will be, you know, promoting this. And I also think it's quite rich that probably a lot of MPs that are talking about laughing gas have probably never even seen a laughing gas canister in their life because they probably are in like the middle of Somerset, where you know, laughing gas is just what you do when you get a helium balloon from clinton's and (laughs) dad dad, your dad does a funny joke like if you've actually you know seen them and you know walked around areas where sort of like this stuff is being passed around like our university area yeah um then you'll understand it but without kind of going down this whole rabbit hole it's like you're sitting in your ivory tower talking about you know talking about laughing gas you ain't got a fucking clue what it's about uh, yeah maybe um, but I, I don't have a clue about laughing gas either to be honest because i've no. um and then <laughs> and then the only other thing was that uh is that the king's been in germany on diplomatic work as it is it's being reported on uh which uh me and you t- teased a potential division on in that i don't think that he should be there for diplomatic work you think he should be uh, I mean, this is a whole podcast on the role of monarchy that we've never done, but, you know, we could do future. Yeah. Um, get, Prin- get Princess Anne onto the podcast. What, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. No, not. I was going to say something bad. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no uh, I, I think, I mean, that's what the monarch is there for, to do all the fancy glitzy stuff and the prime minister is supposed to be at home running the country. I think it just seems stuck because the prime minister is not running the country. That's it. I just, I, I, I just, I just see it as that, you, you know, the, if they if they're having to resort to the king doing diplomatic work, and but Rishi Sunak isn't doing that much. I mean, we've seen him go to France. I can't think of any much other, and I'm sure people in in comments or whatever can again send me times where he has gone to other countries, but I don't know. I, I don't. I really don't have any have an opinion on laughing gas. Norman King. Yeah, it's not. Is that how this week has been? Sorry to end on this, but I mean, it, it is it is the week before recess. So what do you expect? But exactly. Let's end the podcast here. No, oh, we'll, and the series. Oh, no. And the series. Uh, we'll be back after our dissertation. Um, if anyone wants to write it for me, tell me. I don't have any money to give you, but I'd really appreciate it. Okay, bye. We're not just going to end it like that. (laughs) We're going to do our usual thing where we say thank you very much for uh, listening to this episode, but also listening to the series. Um, It's been a blast. We've had some good guests. I know earlier you asked me to review the last four episodes and that didn't happen, but yeah, they were all lovely in their own special way. The, The... guy with the fence uh on the fence says uh in, in pride and its glory um i'm chatting out my ass now uh let's let's end the series now you um, have been for the last 15 minutes yeah probably hey well then by that logic you've been chatting out your ass for the last two seasons um I have. so uh yeah thank you very much for being with us for the season we'll see you very very soon for an even bigger and an even better series of politics on draft as always my name is james table and my name's kartik sawney and we'll see you next episode next series on politics on draft see you later bye-bye